Hey everybody, this is Jamie Nunley, lead pastor of Victory Fellowship Church. Thanks for listening to the VFC Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our free VFC Thomasville app, where you can access all of our messages, sermon notes, announcements, and small group lessons. This app is the easiest way to keep up with everything going on here at VFC. So please enjoy the following sermon. We hope it encourages you in your walk with Jesus and helps you to belong, believe, and become. Enjoy. Um, We are continuing our series called This Is My Story. This morning we are talking about, I'm going to be telling the story of Mephibosheth. Interesting name. Mephibosheth, please do not name your child Mephibosheth, okay? Don't, just don't do it, okay? I was trying to figure out, if I knew a person named Mephibosheth, like, I wouldn't call them that. Like, would I call them, like, Mephi? Or, or Phoebo? I'm not sure what name I would choose to call Mephibosheth, but it would be something, and it would be funny, I'm sure. Um, we've been talking about telling our story all this summer. Uh, we're, we're talking about your story. Your story um, is, is history. If there's been uh, things that you're ashamed of, not proud of, good news, it's over and it's done with. Um, and now the Lord wants to turn it into ministry. He wants to turn it into prophecy. He wants to turn it into victory over your life. Amen. And so that's what we've been talking about. We heard last week uh, from uh, Tim Martin, who, by the way, isn't this table really cool? Tim and Lynn Martin did this for us, and uh, I just, uh, I think they'll be here second service, but uh, really, really glad. This will all make sense in just a little bit as, as I tell the story of Mephibosheth this morning. But um, yeah, so your story is still being written as well. And, and God wants you to learn to leverage your story to where it helps other people. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, and so I, I want to talk about Mephibosheth. Where I'm going to tell his story, then I'm going to talk about some, some practical stuff that we can learn from his story specifically. Before we do, I, I want to kind of give you the backstory before we just jump into Scripture, okay? So Israel wanted a king. Israel in the past had, had been a theocracy. God was their king. And so Israel said, no, we want to be like the other nations. I believe this is 1 Samuel 18. You can look this up. And God's like, are you sure? Because a king is going to mess with you. Like he's going to tax you. Like he's going to uh, draft your sons into the army. Are you sure that you want a king? And the children of Israel say, yeah, we want a king. And God says, okay, here's Saul. Well, Saul started out doing pretty well, uh, but uh, in the end, he, he, he started disobeying God. He started saying he was obeying God, but really disobeying God, and he would never been there before. And so God actually anointed someone else, David, as king. You probably heard of King David. Now, what's interesting here is kings are usually, uh, it's usually a family thing. So when one king dies, the next king or queen is going to be the daughter or son of that king, right? Are you with me? And so, uh, but instead, God anointed David, who was from a totally different family, to be the next king. To complicate matters, which which caused issues, uh, as you can imagine. To complicate issues, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David were best friends. So much so that they cut a covenant together and swore an oath to defend each other until 
the end of their lives. If you recall, we talked about covenant uh, in our series of promises of promise in May. And so you learned, you remember covenant was a lifelong oath, right? It was, it was you were bound to that covenant forever. It was, you can only be released from it after death. And so Jonathan and David created a covenant together. Well, unfortunately for Jonathan, they were fighting the Philistines and both Jonathan and his father Saul, who was king, died. And so then David had already been anointed king and so he became king. And, and all, um, and, and there was a crazy transition. There was actually some fighting within Israel as far as like, you know, who David was king over. At first he was just king over Judah. Uh, and then he united the whole uh, kingdom uh, under his kingship. And, and so we get to 2 Samuel um, chapter 9. Uh, and we're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Um, and we hear the story of Mephibosheth, but I just wanted you to understand uh, that here we go. It's been about 10, 15, 20 years since David has become king. And things are going really well for him. He's not only united the whole kingdom, but he uh, has, is defeating his enemies. Things are going really well. And so 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. One day David asked, is anyone... And Saul's family is still alive. Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. A couple of things. First of all, is anyone in Saul's family or Jonathan's family alive? Why would he ask this? Because when there was a regime change, everyone from the old regime was killed. So, so no one could say, hey, I'm actually an heir to the throne. So I, I, I get to be king, not David. So David's people went out and slaughtered all of Saul's family. So that's why he's saying, is there anyone still alive? And then he says something interesting. He says, is there anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now that word kindness is that little word we learned about a few weeks ago, chesed, which is covenant obligation, covenant love, unfailing, everlasting love. You remember that? So he says, look, I made an oath to Jonathan before he died. And so I want to follow up on that. I want to show chesed, that kindness, that, that covenant love on behalf of Jonathan. So is there anyone related to Jonathan who is still alive that, that I can do that with? And so he summoned a man named Ziba who had been born, uh, who was one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. That's the word hesed again. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Now, it doesn't tell us why he got injured in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, but Scripture does tell us why. It's a couple of chapters back in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. It says this, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Remember, they were battling the Philistines and died. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. Talk about a lifestyle change. Can you imagine a five-year-old in the king's castle, walking around like he owns the place, right? He's got everything he ever wanted, every toy that could be made in the kingdom. He's got it, the latest Elmo 
He's got the latest and greatest. He's got the iPhone X. <laughs> he's got the latest technology, right? I mean, and he's just walking around like he owns the place. He gets to eat the, the best food. And, and you can remember some stuff when you were five. And so, so all of a sudden, his life is totally turned upside down. Not only does his father die, but his grandfather, who's the king, who's supplying this cushy life, he dies, and now there's about to be a regime change. Everyone's about to get killed. So what is his nurse? He had his own nurse. Mephibosheth had his own nurse, okay? That's how cushy his life was. So his nurse is like, I'm getting out of here. I know what happens at this point. And so she, she runs and she picks up Mephibosheth, but she stumbles and she falls and she drops him. He lands on his legs or ankles or feet evidently, and he heals badly and he can't walk. He goes in one day from being in the top 1% to being in the bottom 1%. The name Mephibosheth means from the mouth of shame. He is shamed because of what has happened to him. He is shamed because in one day, his life went from the best that there was to the worst that there was. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but you guys need to understand. In our culture, when it comes to people who are disabled, we take care of disabled people. Our government will give money. We, we, you know, we're going to be building a new sanctuary in the next few years. Uh, you know, we're already looking at plans, and, 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 but there's code, building code, to take care of people who are disabled. We have to, by law, make sure that there are sidewalks at certain angles and degrees and to, to allow people who, uh, who, who can't walk like the rest of us who can get in to the building. So that's our culture here, and that's because of, of a Christian outlook, that we take care of the weak. We take care of those. But in this culture, that's not how it was. If you were a leper, you were sent off to a leper colony to go live by yourself. You remember the story where Jesus uh, is at the pool of Bethesda and they're all sick people laying around the pool hoping that they could get in and get healed? That's where the lame and the blind and the disabled were. They weren't being taken care of. They were being, go, we hope maybe you'll get in the pool one day. They were disowned. They were shamed. And the Hebrew mindset back then was very much so that people believed if, you, if something like that happened, you must have done something. You must have done something to earn that. There must have been some secret sin in your life or your parents' life that caused you to end up this way. So Mephibosheth was living a life of shame. So let's go back to 2 Samuel 9. We're going to pick up verse 4. So he learns, David learns about Mephibosheth. Where is he, David asks, in Lodabar? Lodabar, which is the most Star Wars sounding city I've ever heard in my life, if there ever was one, Lodabar. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Ziba told him, at the home of Makir, son of Amiel. By the way, I have no idea how to pronounce those names. If you want to sound smart, just pronounce an Old Testament name like you think it's pronounced and do it with confidence and people will believe you. That's just a freebie this morning. I mean, it could have been Emil, but I said Amiel. You know why? Because I got the mic. And that's so this. So there you go. Just pulling back the curtain a little bit, letting you know. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. 
His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. Let me just, I need you to understand what's happening here. Again, Mephibosheth is the last living person from Saul's lineage. Okay, he was hiding out in Lodabar, a, a place, a nowhere town, okay? And he was hoping no one would ever know where he was. David finds out that there's still someone living in Saul's lineage. What does Mephibosheth think is about to happen? He thinks he's about to get taken out, right? Could you imagine you're in your home, you're in, you're in witness protection, and all of a sudden five big black SUVs come down your driveway? You've been summoned to see the king. Oh, okay. I know what's happening now. I know what's happening. I mean, that would be scary, right? If people just, if, if, if Secret Service showed up at your door and said, the president uh, needs to see you immediately. You'd be like, bye, kids, right? But it was even worse back then because it was a king who was known, the kings killed the other family that they were replacing. And so that's why David says, do not be afraid. Why? Because Mephibosheth was afraid. He was very afraid. But David said, I intend to show kindness. There's that word, chesed. I intend to show covenant love, kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. You will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth, now this is interesting. This, listen to his response. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and acclaimed, Who is your servant? that you should show kindness to a dead dog like me. Verse 9. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a lot of sons and servants. Verse 11, Ziba replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant. I will do all that you've commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Wow. What a story. What a story. The kid that had everything goes to the kid that had nothing, grows up in hiding, and becomes the adult who had nothing, who is now the adult who has everything. This story and and the aspect of covenant that we see covenant faithfulness it speaks of who jesus represents the father to be to us it screams grace and and it's a great picture of of how god wants to interact with us there are three lessons that i want you to learn from mephibosheth's story this morning i encourage you keep up in our app sunday at vfc is one of the headings um, in our app, and you'll see the notes are there. There's some fill-in-the-blanks where you can keep up. The scripture references are in there as well. Here's the first thing I want you to learn from Mephibosheth's story, is that God chooses us even though we have nothing to offer him. 
God chooses us even though we had nothing to offer him. I mean, here's, here's David. Y'all, David is the king. He is the number one guy in the land. If he says you die, guess what? You die. If he says you live, guess what? You live. If he says do this and make it so, it's going to be so. There is nothing that Mephibosheth had to offer David. Absolutely nothing. And Mephibosheth knew this. And that's why he said, why are you doing this for me, a dead dog? But yet David said, it's not about you, Mephibosheth. It's about my covenant. It's about my promise. It's about my oath. In the same way, in the same way, this is how God operates with us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Mephibosheth had nothing to offer David, but David was not responding to what Mephibosheth had. David was responding to his covenant promise in the same way. Look, maybe you think, I have nothing to offer God. Guess what? You're right. The only thing that you can give God that he doesn't already have is your worship, is your devotion, is a life in submission and yielding to him. I mean, Scripture says that he can make the rocks cry out and worship him if he wants to, right? I mean, it says the trees clap their hands in worship of God. But what does he want? He wants you. He wants you. And so it's, it's because of his great love, but it's because of your ability, but it's God's great love that makes him pursue you. God's love for you is based on what he has to give you, not on what you have to give him. God's love is based on what he has to give you, not on what you have to give him. And so God chooses us even though we have nothing to offer him. Here's the next thing I want you to see is that God pursues the broken. He, he doesn't just, if a broken person comes to him, he goes, okay, sure, I'll, I'll let them in. No, no, no. He goes out and he pursues the broken. Now, David sent people to find Mephibosheth in Lodabar. Lodabar was the name of the city. Uh, it literally means no pasture, or some translations, it might be no word. Um, it, it's basically, it's the middle of nowhere. It's the place you don't want to be, okay? Uh, It's nothing town. It's a place of forgotten people and societal outcasts. This is Lodabar. Hey, it would have been easy to say, for David to say Lodabar. He's in Lodabar. All right, we're not going there. That guy's a lost cause, man. I don't want anyone from Lodabar in my palace, right? They're going to stink the place up, right? No, no. He sends his servants, He sends his servants and he pursues them. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. 
We read where Jesus actually preaches in his hometown synagogue. I love this passage of scripture. It's great. It says, when he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue. By the way, Jesus went to church, just so you know. Y'all are here, so congratulations. But Jesus went to church. It was as, it was usual for him. He went, to this, uh, as, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up and read scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. Just so you know, they would read uh, kind of where they left off last. So they would read and then they'd put a marker there. And then the next Sabbath, they, they'd get together. They, they'd pick up where they, they left off, right? And they happened to be reading Isaiah. Well, Jesus, it's Jesus' turn to read. So actually, he breaks uh, the, the tradition of continuing where they were, and he goes and he finds the spot. We now call this Isaiah 61. But he finds the spot uh, where it's talking about the job description of the future coming Messiah. And he reads it. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He was saying, um, hey, in case you guys don't realize hometown crowd, I'm the Messiah. You know what they tried to do after this? They tried to kill him. <laughs> Why? Because it was, it was blasphemy in their ears. But he was telling the truth, wasn't he? He was saying, hey, I'm that Messiah. That, you know that Messiah we all grew up singing about? We all grew up talking about he would one day come? That's me. That's me. But notice, it's interesting. Who is the Messiah sent to? He's anointed me to bring good news to the rich, those that have it all together, those that know the scripture really well. Sent me to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives are released, that the blind see and the oppressed will be set free. It's the broken. It's the needy. It's those that don't have it all together. These are the ones that the Messiah was sent to. See, we need to recognize this. When people are told of a holy, perfect, amazing God, we talk about God and how wonderful he is and how majestic he is, a lot of times people respond with fear. They respond with fear like, oh, well, if he's perfect, then I'm very much imperfect. That's what Mephibosheth did, right? He responded in fear in the presence of the king. But what we don't understand is that God doesn't want to kill you. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. You are his job description. You, the oppressed. You, the poor. You, the blind. You, the broken. You are the Messiah's job description. You are who he came for. And God is pursuing you because you are broken. He's pursuing you in your imperfection so that he might make you perfect in him. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, it says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy 
when God called you. That doesn't mean you can't be called if you're powerful or wealthy. He just says that few of you were. I mean, some of them were, right? But not everyone. In other words, don't think that God just came to call people who have all their stuff together, right? And just because you have wealth or power doesn't mean you have your stuff together, right? Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I've heard it put this way. God loves broken people because broken people are all that there are. We're all broken. We're all broken. We're all in need of a Savior. Hey, if you don't measure up, I've got good news for you. You are now qualified for a Savior. If you're not perfect, I've got good news for you. You are uniquely and distinctly qualified to get to know Jesus. Because he is looking for people that need him. You're the type of person... That God is looking for. The good news of Jesus is a rags to riches story. It's a podunk to palace story. And I believe, if I can just share a little bit real quick. You know, I know, you know we're here in Thomasville, Georgia. Southwest corner of Georgia. A flyover state. Not a whole lot of population here. But guys, God is doing something special here. God is highlighting this city among all other cities in the nation and all other cities in the world. I'm telling you, Thomasville is going to be famous for the presence of God. I'm telling you that right now. There's something about this southwest corner of Georgia that God is shining a light on. And he's going to do amazing. He's already doing amazing things, but it's only going to increase. Just because we aren't a well-known community or city doesn't mean that God's not. He is doing great things. Here's the last thing I want you to know from the story of Mephibosheth. God carries us to his table and covers our brokenness. God carries us to his table And covers our brokenness. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 4. Now by the way, Song of Solomon is is an artistic poetry book. Um, It's actually kind of like a play. um, About two lovers, a man and a woman. It's it's not very good reading for your children. Because it doesn't censor itself a whole lot. Just warning you, don't say you weren't warned. But it's an amazing picture, not just of covenantal marriage. But it's an amazing picture of God and the bride of Christ. Uh, and, and, and there are all these really cool um, um, prophetic statements that we can get from the Song of Solomon. And one of these is the girl that's being pursued by the guy. She says this, He has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. He has brought me, my pursuer has brought me to his banquet hall. And his banner over me 
is love. Now, the word for banner, and that's kind of a weird word. In Hebrew, it's degel. And, and a lot of times, it's translated standard. Like, the standard is, is love, which is a weird word. Uh, we don't really understand how this works. This is the best way. A standard is like, or, or a banner is like a flag that, that tells who you belong to. You ever seen the Olympics uh, opening ceremonies? And there's a flag for each country. And the people from that country are gathered underneath that flag. That's a standard. That's this word. And, and so what would happen is, is the Jews, when they traveled, they would travel in packs. But, but when they would, because they were made up of different groups, right? The different tribes. But at night when they would camp out, they would camp out under the banner of Judah. Under the banner of Benjamin. Under the banner of whatever tribe they were a part of. That's this word. And the lady and us today who've received the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God says that his standard, his banner, his flag of identification over my life is his love. I am invited to his table. Even though I have nothing to offer, even though I was broken, he has pursued me. He's brought me to his banquet table and his banner, his identifying flag over me is love. Now a banner covers, doesn't it? It covers, it overlays, it hides. You know when you're seated at a table When Mephibosheth was seated at the table, no one could see his legs. No one could see his brokenness anymore. You walk into the room, he looks like everyone else whose legs work exactly how they're supposed to. And when we're seated at the banquet table of the Lord, our brokenness is covered by the banner of love that he covers us with. He carries us to his table and he covers us in his love. He is created. I love this spread that we have out here. This grape looks good. I think I'm just going to eat it. That's not a sermon illustration. The grape really looks good. I wanted to eat it. This, this spread has been created for you. He has he done everything necessary. He's invited you to his table. He's saying, like, I'm covering your shame. I'm covering your guilt. Will you come sit at the table? Mephibosheth had nothing to do except to receive the blessing of the king. And that's my question to you this morning. Will you let Jesus carry you to the table of the Lord? This is going to be a little different. Normally I have you stand at this point and I like for us to reflect on a sermon, on the sermon and ask the Holy Spirit a question. But I've asked Blake to come. There's actually a song by a band named Leland who we had play here a couple years ago. That's about this story. It's called Carried to the Table. I want to invite you just to sit where you are. Close your eyes. Sit back. Relax. Visualize the Lord carrying you to the table. And receive his mercy, his kindness, his covenant love, his hesed on your behalf.
Wounded and forsaken, I was shattered by the fall. Broken and forgotten, feeling lost and all alone. Summoned by the King into the Master's courts. Lifted by the Savior and cradled in His arms. I was carried to the table. Where I don't belong, I was carried to the table, swept away by his love. And I don't see my broken. When I'm seated at the table of the Lord, I'm carried to the table. The table of the Lord. Fighting thoughts of fear, wondering why He called my name. Am I good enough to share this cup? This world has left me lame. But even in my weakness, the Savior called my name. And in His holy presence, I am healed and unashamed. As I'm carried to the table. Where I don't belong, I'm carried to the table, swept away by his love, and I don't see my
done but it's in spite of our brokenness father we choose to allow your mercy to move on our behalf and we know god that those things that are plaguing us those sins those things that are hurting us those bad decisions that we're making father that all that will go away if we will just sit at the table we will begin to act like the royalty that we are So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. Call us out. Name us. Just like you named Mephibosheth. May we respond to you. I want to lead you guys in a prayer, if you will, as we close. We respond to the Lord's mercy. What great mercy. What great grace. How could we not respond? So let me supply the words for you. Just say this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. You've set a place at the table for me. And then you've invited me to come and to dine with you. And as I come to the table, my brokenness is hidden. My shame is covered. I don't have to lie or act like I'm something I'm not because you pursue the broken because broken people are all that there are. I receive your grace and I receive your invitation to have a seat at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Steph, will you come close us? Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, just visit us at vfcthomasville.org.